was 45 and you know was really, really terrified experience but didn't know if I could do it by myself I wasn't so confident how how did you do it then um, I ha I had help and support of my family mm -hmm. my friends I had clients that called that said hey Suzanne we'd like you to do this job we'd like you to finish this job you know like that baby steps I had people that wanted to work for me <laughs> it was you know just lucky yeah and then there all this newfound energy and you tap into things you never really knew you could do when you have to welcome to the light lounge the first podcast for lighting designers creatives and designers who work with light My name is Thomas Milch, I'm a lighting designer in New York City and in this week's episode I speak with the fantastic Suzanne Tillotson. Yes, you've heard correct. Suzanne Tillotson is probably one of the finest and most awarded lighting designer out there. She has worked and contributed on these amazing award-winning projects like, for example, the Bloomberg European Headquarter in London, the Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City, the Broad, one of my absolute favorite projects, the Broad Art Museum in LA, and the Red Bull Music Academy New York City, just to name a few. She helps architects like OMA, like shop architects, Bjarke Ingels, Fosses and Partners, Dilliscofilio Renfro to bring magic and life into these buildings they create. But before she could call New York City her home and build a stable and permanent business that she has today, things did not look as easy. Uh, there were challenges at the beginning when she started out. I think the, the fact that my father was Turkish and that we traveled all around the world my whole life. Every year we were in a different country, sometimes three places in one year. Wow. Is a, a lot of the reason why I ended up in New York. Yeah. Um, to me, it's the only place that felt truly like home. So mm -hmm. I lived a lot in the South. I lived in Brazil, you know, and New York. But that didn't happen until six years out of college. The last place my father was transferred was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is why I went to LSU. It was the in-state school at the time, and I started out in architecture. Um, and after two years of drawing house plans, and it was just so boring, I really wanted to be a painter, but I, I knew I needed to earn a good living. Yeah. Um, I was... It, very independent, uh, extremely um, a tomboy my whole life. So I, I knew that if I, even if I did get married, I, I would want to take care of myself. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. So my father was a civil engineer, which is why we traveled so much. He, he built and repaired oil refineries all around the world, mm -hmm. um, in the Mideast, you know, everywhere, Texas. <laughs> we lived in Texas a lot. Do you feel that moving into a lot of places that this has sort of made you more attuned to being adapted to new situations? Absolutely. I think I'm very um, perceptive. I'm a good listener. Yeah. Um, and I, I really pay attention to the world around me. Right. I, I remember a lot. I remember environments from when I was three, two years old. I mean, I can see things dark right. and light and 
Um, I do have a really, really good memory, so it's been helpful for this <laughs> career, but I had no idea this, that there was this career for me. Um, so when I, I transferred out of architecture into interior design, they had a, a laboratory called Color and Light mm -hmm. at the time, and there was a woman heading it up, Andrea Doherty, who became my mentor. And she taught lighting, so we had two semesters of lighting, which was very unusual. Back in the day, it was when IALD had intern, internships, and she introduced me to Leslie Wheel and Howard Branston came and spoke to our career day. So I was incredibly fortunate, and when I heard Howard speak, my eyes were just like, oh my god, a light bulb went off, and I thought, this is the profession for me. But living in Baton Rouge, I didn't know how to do that. How do you become a lighting designer? What was so special about what he, was it the way? Oh, it was the way he talked about it, that he was so articulate about the passion of lighting and how it informed architecture, and I had never, ever thought about it, really. Rendering, painting, you think about light, yeah. but you don't think about it as, um, how you don't think about how much it influences architecture. Back then, we didn't have, you know, lighting designers weren't on the RFPs. We didn't right. have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. My first job out of school was an engineering firm. I did all of their lighting. Banks, you know, schools, hospitals, parking garages, street lighting, anything, you know, I could just, wasn't anything real creative, I have to say, but I, I cut my teeth there. And you, yeah, right. It was probably the starting point to connect the art exactly. and engineering. Yeah. Exactly. We had a project for the state capitol where we were um, working with uh, Howard Branson's office at the time. And you know we had custom fixtures, and there wasn't enough fee for them to do them. So I had to do them. Oh, it, it was heaven. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is my life. And anyway, I loved my, my first boss. I loved my lighting design professor. and. Um, those two people helped me so much. I mean, my, my parents gave me my work ethic yeah. and my tolerance, I think. Um, You've heard, I had help with my first boss. He gave me the opportunity. I was the only person in the firm that wasn't an engineer, you know. Did you, did you and when I um, remember this correctly, this was at um, um, Fleck and Kurtz No, this was Levy Kramer. Understood. Raoul Levy, that was in Baton Rouge. And then when I moved up here, I had a young child. Um, the economy was awful in Louisiana, so my husband and I moved up here with our two-year-old, my oldest son, and um, I went to work for um, Black and Kurtz, yeah. And did you, did you approach, did you say, okay, I want to work with you, but I would love to do the lighting design department, or? They had a lighting design department. Um, Helen Deemer was heading it at the time. I joined um, Marianne Hay, who's at Siska. Um, and it, it was, you know, I, I took that job. I wasn't sure if I should have. I really wanted to work at a lighting design firm, exclusive lighting design right. firm, but the pay was so much better. And I was starting raising a family and completely, we were completely broke. Yeah. So it was a really financial and I had a... I, I really, I really resonate with this situation yeah, right now. Yeah, so it was an hour, a, a, a year and a half. 
and then I was, I, I stayed there a year and a half, and I, um, you know, I, I, I can't say I learned a lot. It was, um, but I did learn about how an engineering firm that large of an, you know, well-respected that that type of a firm worked and operated compared to the small firm mm -hmm. I came from in Louisiana. It taught me a lot. Um, they had a lot of hierarchy, obviously. Um, so that was that was eye-opening. But I did learn that when you're, at least at that time, a lighting design department in a large engineering firm, you don't get to always do what you want. So it, it really sort of solidified in my mind that I want to be an independent lighting designer. I want to do what I want to do, you know, there, without any any worries. Do you think this frustration came from working in an absolutely male-dominated engineering environment, or do you think it was more the structure of, of a larger company? Um, you know, I think it was a little of both, probably. I mean, I was pregnant, I worked up until the day I had my, my second child, and, you know, I had to I couldn't be a, a sick a day. I couldn't, I saved my vacation. My, no. you know, it was not an easy time for women in the workplace. They didn't know what to do with me. They said, you're coming back. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I have a, this is my job. <laughs> you know, I have to earn a living. I'm just like you. <laughs> right. So anyway, it was, it, I think that started to build in my mind that I, I hope someday I can change things, you yeah. know, maybe or things will change, but I really didn't feel sorry or anything. I just thought that's the way it is, whatever, you know. And then did did the collaboration with Howard Branson sort of guide the way into? That's where I went after um, Black and Kurtz, and I was only there a short time, honestly. Um, for some reason, I remember the economy wasn't that good, and I got a call from... Uh, Jerry Kugler, he was quite busy. I think at the time, he was, um, Ann Kale was there. There was only, I think, three or four people. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I joined, and gosh, almost 17 years I was there. And at some point, I can't remember how many years it took, but I became 49% owner. The name changed to Kugler Tillotson. Um, and then I guess the economy got bad again. You know, the economy sometimes just... Change your circumstances? Yeah, forces change. And I do think you learn a lot from change. And change is good. In my life, it's been really good. It's kind of given me the kick in the butt that I really needed sometimes, as I tend to be comfortable in a situation. I think everybody does. You, Absolutely. You know everything and you're comfortable and I get very attached to people and right. change was very hard. So you need the kick in the butt to grow. The, yeah, there's always opportunity in challenging times mm -hmm. probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did Jerry Kugler, did he approach you and say like, hey, why don't you come to me? Or was this also yes. something? Yeah, yeah, he did. I, I was still very new to New York. I'd only been there maybe two years, so I didn't know all the players, all the lighting design firms there. Um, and I was excited about the opportunity. 
It was, um, and I was just excited to be doing, you know, creative things. It was, it was super. He did a lot of custom fixture design, detailing, and I, I learned an awful lot from him about that. Tremendous amount. Um, was the connection made to Jerry Kugler through the IES or through the ILD, or how did you how did you even meet? Uh, he he called me. Oh really? Yeah, he called me, and I went and met with him. It was that simple. And I, I remember speaking to my father. I said, you know, Dad, I don't know. It's very difficult because I don't really. You don't know someone, and you're leaving a good-paying job. And I. He suggested I, I do it, so I did. I listened to my father. He even told me to come move to New York. So, you know, it's, it's, some people are uh, influential that way in your life. Yeah. And coming from a bigger, larger engineering firm into like a three, four people office, how mm -hmm. did, was this like, okay, I suddenly have to do everything and now I have, I can do anything? Oh, completely the opposite. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. No red tape, no waiting around, you know, no hierarchy structure. Things like that are, are important, um, but it's difficult for creative people to, to work under those conditions because you may, oh, I want to stop. I want to buy something for a mock-up, and you know it's completely crazy, but you have to do it. All right. And you have to do it right then. So, <laughs> did did he did he see from the beginning that did he have a feeling that you would be become a partner or was it did no, this develop over time? No, I think over time for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then you probably learned how to how to um, how to invoice stuff, how much exactly. to charge, how exactly. to set up billing. Yeah, and I over seventeen years. Kugler, uh, um, sorry, Tillotson Kugler, Tillotson. Kugler Tillotson. Kugler Tillotson, right? <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's a mouthful. Um, grew over the 17 <laughs> years, so you probably grew with it with yeah. more people. And yeah, people I think met. we had 12 or 14 when I left. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and that was 2004. Um, and I was just myself. You know, my, one of my ex-employees gave me a desk um, Alistair, <laughs> I will never forgive. I was so thankful uh, for that. He, he, he gave me his, a desk in his office and a copier and a phone. Was that, no was that jobs, was, no clients, was, nothing. Was that the initial moment there? Hey, why don't you start your own business? I have a desk for you and a copier. Why don't you start um, something yourself? No, no, we had a, we had a falling out. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a, not a, pleasant breakup well it happens it right? happens yeah we are all humans and relationships exactly are, exactly yeah. so also probably a challenging moment where you tapped into something new you didn't oh, know I did and I was old I mean I was 45 and you know was really, really terrified experienced but didn't know if I could do it by myself I wasn't so confident how how did you do it then um I, ha I had help and support of my family, mm -hmm. my friends. I had clients that called that said, hey, Suzanne, we'd like you to do this job. We'd like you to finish this job. You know, like that, baby steps. I had 
people that wanted to work for me. <laughs> it was, you know, just lucky. Yeah. And then there all this newfound energy, and you tap into things you never really knew you could do when you have to. Right. You mentioned um, in previous interviews that, of course, relationships and trust is a very big part of, well, in general in life, but yeah. also building like relationships. Yeah. Maybe I pause here and I say sure. like, like just us meeting, I thought, okay, before I came here, I thought, where did we, how did we connect the first time? And do you remember? Yeah. I'm not sure if you remember, probably not, but um, we met, I met you, or I remember it vividly, I think 2010, nine mm -hmm. years ago at the Lightened Building in Frankfurt. And oh. I was like this yes i remember still a smaller yeah. newbie saying like hey yeah. i'm coming to new york uh, <laughs> and you were like oh yeah sure um yeah shoot me an email yes. and i think you gave me the email mm -hmm. from aaron and that's it exactly was, right i remember that and it was like the same as you're today very energized very open mm -hmm. very helpful mm -hmm. um and these small interactions of course build like the trust and that's why we sit yeah. here today How, yeah. was there did you also build a lot of connections um, with Jerry Kugler, working with him, that you then sort of could use in your further yes. business? Yeah, because, I mean, I was there a long time, and Jerry and I, um, you know, kind of, at the, after I became experienced, you know, he had his jobs and his clients, and he was the principal in charge of those, and I had my jobs and my clients, and I was the principal in charge of those. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. So, yeah. It wasn't like I was just starting and didn't have, hadn't done a project, you know? I had, KPF was one of my big clients, you know? I had established relationships with um, OMA, you know? I, we'd already started the Seattle Library, the Prada store. So there was, and, and then all of those firms, people in those firms over these years have branched out and had now their own firms. So I've been incredibly fortunate by that. You know, you, you have work ACs, Dan and Amal from OMA in Rotterdam. That's where I first met them. Wow. Yeah, Josh Ramis, same. I met him, and he's at Rex. You know, I met him in Rotterdam. So it's, it's lighting designers are, are fortunate that way, really. And then probably your experience in moving and traveling and meeting new people is yeah, probably yeah. a big part of it as well. Made it a lot easier for me, I think, because I adapt to situations really easily, quickly. And when you were sort of by yourself, and let's, um, we are like in the year 2004, right? Yeah, when I started. So, well, of course, you started way earlier, and you have much more experience, but mm -hmm. started sort of your business under your own name. Right. I think the scary thing was, you know, you feel so vulnerable and you know transparent. It's like, is anybody gonna want to give me a job? I have no office, <laughs> I have no employees, you know. And so I think that's the big thing about lighting design. It's it's what you know, what's in your head, what you can create, you know, how you support the architect's vision. And you can do that with very little tools. Yeah. And how, how did you do it? Because these are all super big companies with a, and the projects are very demanding as well. 
And you had a desk and a copier, and how did you? I know. I, you know, slowly but surely, jobs came in, and I had to start hiring. And then I had four or five people. <clears throat> He gave me a little bit more space, and then you know more jobs. I needed somebody that knew AutoCAD, <laughs> Photoshop. I I couldn't do those things, and so it was a challenge. And then we moved two by four. Um, A graphics firm here in the city gave me a sublet, mm -hmm. and so at, at one point we had eight people in a tiny, like 500 square foot space. We had to move the copier around just to have meetings, roll it out into the hall, and then I decided after that, maybe that was three years, four years into it, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be okay to do, you know, a, a real lease. <laughs> that was scary. Like, am I gonna make payroll each time? You know, how do you know when you could sustain it? And it is sort of you have this enough flow of the cash coming in to where you could start to pay yourself, and then you could, you know, that's the big kicker because you can pay your people, but it takes yeah. a little while to pay yourself. And you you started. How did you how did you get new businesses? Did you did I don't know? Did you just tap into they old just, connections or they did just, you? Yeah, I was just so lucky they would call me, and it was like that. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, people talked to each other, and they, I guess word of mouth. I had no marketing campaign, no, I think if you do it today, you, you need, I mean, there's a lot more competition. Right. Um, you need to think about all of that. I was a, I was a bit naive that way. But I also already had a body of work, you know. Right. Well, I think, and I've been I've been reading, listening to a lot of um, business people, entrepreneurs, that this naivete is like something propelling and something mm -hmm. positive at the beginning. Because if you would know all the implications, you maybe probably wouldn't. True. <laughs> so so true. I, I felt like Mary Tyler Moore when I walked, you know, out of the my last day. I was at Cougar Tillotson, and not that it was all bad, it's just that for the first time in my life, it's I was on my own two feet. You know, I I always lived at home. I, I never was ever on my own two feet. Did you ever think that it would not work out, or did this not? Um, I really never thought about it. I guess I said, well... And hello everyone, Thomas Superquick here. I just wanted to say thank you for making this world a better place. Thank you so much for being a lighting designer and thank you so much for being part of this amazing lighting design community. I just wanted to say thank you so much here and asking for a tiny little bit of help. The more we hear and speak about light, the better for all of us. And if you should know another lighting designer who has not heard about the Light Lounge podcast yet, Please share and ask if he or she would be interested in conversations like these with the amazing Suzanne Tillotson. I'm working really hard to get the best lighting designers in conversations to get the insights that potentially could be interesting for you in order to make this lighting design community better and of course to make the world a better place for environments, uh, designs, saving energy and so on, you know all the jazz. Wherever you are in the world, I wish you a happy spring and I speak to you very soon. Back to the conversation with the amazing Suzanne Tillotson. Thank you so much. I guess I said, well, it may not, 
And if it doesn't, the worst thing that could happen is, you know, I open a flower shop or something, I'll figure it out. That's what I thought. Maybe it won't work out in lighting, but it'll work out in something. Right. I'm a very positive person. It helps me through difficult times. I always think there's some light at the end of the tunnel. So you were like three, four years into your own business mm -hmm. and having an eight-people office and now sort of making the next step into your own lease. How Was there a project or what was the moment where you thought, okay, now I feel confident? Gosh, I don't know that I ever had had that moment. I, I, I can't think of that. I, I guess I... I became more confident as my as my my staff grew and people like Ellen Sears and Mark Kubicki came. I just I felt more um, supported because I had worked with them for mm -hmm. so many years before. And I guess I there was really no turning point other than it was just years, you know, each year. But each year was a challenge. I mean, you, you just can't take it for granted one minute. The intensity when you have your own company, uh, it's, it's like hit the ground running, wake up with the sunrise, you know, it's like intense. It's been that way for a long time. <laughs> you have to have a lot of energy. So it's, I enjoy it, but you do have to have a crazy amount of energy. And probably the not knowing what's going to happen is like, sort of positive stress that sort of yeah. helps you? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that for me, I just set up the, my vision for the company was do the very, very best lighting design we can do and support our clients in the very best way we can so they want to come back. It's pretty basic, you know. Did you feel 2008? Not really, not, not, not so much. I think maybe we, we worked for a couple, maybe a couple of months. We, we worked um, four days a week. So we didn't, I just brought everyone into the office and I said, this is the situation. I, I don't want to have to let one person go, but I want to make sure everyone is on board with this decision. They were and it was extremely short-lived. Everybody got like a, a Friday off. <laughs> it was good. And it was just a few months, I think. Yeah, very lucky. It sounds like that you have built a very strong system and people of trust and a yeah, team. That is yeah, it's an amazing team. We have, you know, most of the staff has been with me over seven years, right out of school. They got married while they were here. Now they're having children also while they're here and they're all coming back to work. And I think that you know, there's not a lot of design firms where that happens. Yeah. Either you know, they're not paid enough or the culture doesn't allow them to have a family and, and have a demanding job. Is this something that you pay specifically attention to? Absolutely. Because we're in an industry that that makes it very difficult to have those things, um, we we spend a lot of time, and I think it's from my engineering days. We we plan our days, our weeks, our months. We do projections 
I believe in spreadsheets and all that stuff, which is, I think, uh, maybe unusual for, for a real creative design studio, but it's the only way we can manage our you know, work-life balance. Um, the more organized and efficient you are, the more time you can spend on the design, um, the more mock-ups you can do, you know, and that brings value to the project. It's what sets it apart. But you can't do that if you're not healthy and happy. Of course. So it, it's a struggle, you know. It's it's not easy. But I I I made it. A, it was my ambition. I, I even when we had four people, I said I'm gonna have health care. I'm gonna have a 401k. I'm gonna be able to offer these things that I I didn't even have a 401k for a long, long, long time. That yeah. I wanted 20 some things. People out of college to have these things, or I didn't wasn't gonna have a business. It was just that simple. Either you have to raise your fees so that you could support these designers and the talented ones, you know, the top graduates. So, what is important today in your business? How did this? How did it change over the years? And um, I think today it's you know we had so few tools when I started out. Mm. You know, fluorescent lamps, par lamps. You knew what everything was going to do. Um, what it was supposed to do. Yeah, what it was supposed to do. There was no surprises. <laughs> uh, today is a, a huge challenge, as you know. So we're, we're, we're having to work even harder. You know, nothing is as it says. The IES files don't necessarily mean anything. Everything has to be tested in real life. Mock-ups, and then you don't know over the life of the job, even after a year, what, what is it gonna look like? I think the liability is the biggest change, you know, the professional liability insurance, um, the risks are enormous for small, independent lighting design firms. Yeah. You know, the, the, the costs of these products have gone up exponentially from the days of fluorescence and par lamps. So you're talking, you know, complex control systems, um, I mean, it's wonderful that we really do have a seat at the table and we're on the RFPs and, um, you know, it, it, that's wonderful. The shift has been that the budgets for the lighting packages are just not enough. And I think that's been our biggest challenge is getting cut, you know, all the lighting getting cut and then, you know, inexpensive products that aren't going to stand the test of time, even though they're still paying a lot of money for them, um, our work gets installed. And that's killing us. How, how, can we, how can we help to have a better balance that lighting designers get yeah. compensated in the way that they should for working on these high-profile projects all around the world? How I don't have the answer. I, I wish, I mean, I think it, I always felt in America that contractors had more um, clout and much more sort of, they were always listened to by the ownership much more than the architects. What do you mean by clout? Clout means influence. Yeah. yeah, so once the bid's awarded, they can do. It's like we're on the other side of the table, and all we're trying to do is spend money, and all the other contractors trying to do is save money. 
Um, but I just think that there is sort of this, the notion that you can spend well and wiser is yeah. just missing. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that I don't always think is in the best interest of the project. Um, and as just a lighting consultant, you know, you don't have much of a voice, but I just have seen my clients get bullied and, you know, projects and the quality of construction suffer. Right. As a result, because we they just, the architecture doesn't have the, the clout, the power that the contractors do. So that probably leads to or leads to more education, and and yeah. you always have been a big advocate of uh, of, mm -hmm. of education. And that probably did this change, or is it probably gets even more to re-educate clients? Or it's it's really important today because of all of the LED technology. It's sort of more important today than ever. I think. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's just all become complicated because the whole world has become more complicated because technology is moving mile a minute and it impacts architecture, it impacts design. Um, so I think we all just need to take a big deep breath, take a step back and think about, you know, what are we doing? Does it make sense? Does it make, is it, you know, are we using good judgment? <laughs> common sense you know yeah. um, and and listen to each other and tell our clients these are your risks so that's what we try to do it takes a whole other layer you know you four substitute packages you wrote a, already wrote a spec with three equals what's wrong with those right it's all about the money less 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 but you have to educate your clients that there's a price you pay that there's That, yeah, that quality. What you see on the surface, it all looks the same. Right. But it doesn't age the same. And that probably brings our, um, our knowledge and our expertise more into the forefront. It does. Again. And I think that, I mean, what I'm hoping, my next stage is, you know, I'm, I've seen this tremendous increase in lighting, light pollution, and... I just think we need to take a step back just because we can have more light. We shouldn't. We're going in the wrong direction, There's I There's no need anymore. Exactly. Let's use less of it, but make it better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think lighting designers have always, it's our profession, we do lighting responsibly. We understand that you need darkness to appreciate lightness. Um, the more light begets light. You know, too much light is not a good thing. Yeah. It's not a good thing. It's not all about the foot candles. So I think we have a responsibility to society to keep, you know, giving this message. Just there's so few of us still. Yeah. We have a hard time getting, increasing our numbers, and I don't know why that is. There is so much, there's, and that's probably the, light has such a big influence and impact on so many different levels, and there are probably so many things that we could sort of speak about yes. from sort of frust being frustrated yes. and walking through the city and and yeah. even I start to okay I, ca I cannot like pay attention to this anymore and that's probably like being very 
trying to be more focused yeah. Um, yeah. what you really uh, uh, like to do? I think I, I would like to have more of the, you know, the manufacturers I also feel have a responsibility and I'm telling them as I meet with them, please, just because someone wants more lumens in a fixture that's only two inches wide doesn't mean you should do that. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, you know, the human eye can tolerate that. <laughs> There's certain things that, you know, just don't make sense. Yeah. You can't even dim them low enough for the human eye to tolerate them. And it's it's very interesting it's responsibility. that you say that, that I, I speak with other um, acclaimed lighting designers and they all had either in a conversation before or after the actual recording, all had like sort of the underlying um, comment of like, yeah, the, we either need to work closer together and manufacturers need to listen more to, a, to lighting designers. So it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting ob observation so far, and mm -hmm. I don't have I don't have necessarily. It's, it's difficult because you know it's, it's sort of a conflict, and I don't know it's a you know they make their living off of selling more product, doesn't you know and it's it's really about educating the general public. Yeah. If they don't want those products, then maybe we wouldn't have to make them, you know? Right. And that's a big job. It's a really big job. So there are a lot of challenges, and we are coming yeah. sort of closer yeah. closer to the end. What is your outlook for the future? You, as you mentioned, you have a very good uh, forecast for what's happening in your own company, but also for the future. What is your What is your vision where the lighting design industry goes, or maybe just your your personal um, business? Oh, I think personally, I mean, we're interested in, because we see a big void in some product design. Um, we see the need. We, 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 it's not moving fast enough for us and our needs. So we're, we're looking into that um, seriously and not as a money-making proposition because it doesn't seem like it will be, but just as a just need-based You know, it's need-based, so we need a certain louver or reflector, et cetera. You know, we're going to have a 3D printer. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to design it. We're going to say, go build this, because we don't have the time to wait for the manufacturers to do the R&D, et cetera. It's so interesting that, and also, of course, you experience this the same way, that all other lighting designers say, okay, we are... We have problems fulfilling the need of the market by the product that are provided. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because you companies and even lighting owners start to develop lighting control systems that that actually respond to the human need even better. Yeah. And it's like in order to if and I really love to to use this uh, quote or question by Henry Ford, who said like if if he would have asked his customers what do you what do you want or mm -hmm. what do you need, they would have said just faster horses, mm -hmm. and they would not have come up. With, with a motorized vehicle, right? Exactly. And so that's how we Exactly. Sort of I think we need to really think fresh, new, just because you can make a two-by-two two, look it like two-by-two like exactly. two fluorescent exactly. with the lens, or are we yeah. doing that? We need to rethink the, the grid ceiling. Yeah. This is like, it's crazy. The form factor has to change, and it has to change more quickly in a way we can afford it, and right. it has to be comfortable Right. for... People. Yeah. We're not there yet. 
We are heavily working on it, and yeah. you are working on it, yeah. Suzanne. It was um, it was a great pleasure. What what um, what um, is there anything you would like to would like to plug? Of course, people can reach you uh, on on your website. Yeah, very well of presented. Course. Yeah. Um, I assume you're always looking for most talented people. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're always looking. We, we're a little limited in space in New York, but we just expanded. So, yeah, space is looking a little better these days. Um, and, I, and I would just say I'm encouraged. I'm super excited by all the young people coming into the lighting industry. I wish there were more of them. I think they're well aware of the challenges and they, they're, they're going to meet them. I mean, I can see yeah. them in my own studio. They have the creative abilities, you know, they have the organization efficiency. They know what to do. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's my story. <laughs> Suzanne, I really appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you so much time. Thank, Thank you so you. much for your time. Thank, Thank you for the you. Thanks. Thank you. And again, another amazing conversation, this time with Suzanne Tillotson. I think I don't need to explain further what she already did and has accomplished. I will, of course, put down her contact information in terms of the website in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please just say hi to me. I'm super excited uh, to get to know your story. And so long, all the best, stay lit.